and welcome to The Swear Jar, the official podcast of the Academy of Business Communications, where we tell it like it is about corporate and employee communications and use occasionally colorful language to raise money for worthy causes. My name is Elizabeth Williams. And I'm Andrew Brown. You know, Elizabeth, a few podcasts ago, I think uh, one's called What the Hell? We talked about the weird and wild experiences that communicators and leaders have had in the, what is it, seven months since the pandemic roared into North America. And we talked about some of the awesome job that uh, communicators were doing under some pretty trying conditions. But today we're going to circle back and we're just going to discuss what the long-term outcomes of the pandemic might be for organizations, communications broadly, and for fearless communicators themselves. And Elizabeth, do you think that wild glow that was bestowed on communicators is still holding on? Are the communicators still basking in that light? And is that going to happen, continue to the new year and beyond? Well, I sure hope so. I mean, it's not very often that we get to crawl out of the goo and, you know, laze around in the sun and feel good about ourselves. And I I think that if executives and organizations are actually being honest, they probably learned over the past few months just how important the communications role really is. And not just in a crisis, but just Mm -hmm. all the time. And if you think about it, most communicators went pretty quickly earlier this year from making slides for the Q1 board meeting or whatever it was, to cranking out ever-changing health and safety information and figuring out how to communicate with a workforce that was really feeling like it was under siege. So many of them had to invent new communications platforms on the fly, like literally out of whole cloth from nothing. Yeah. And, and so to an end, as a compliment, you know, many of the executives that they work with also had to step into that spotlight and do a lot more communicating than they ever did before and in different ways. And communicators not only had to, as you say, invent platforms and messages, but they also had to get those reluctant executives up to speed. And often that was remotely. So to me, the first thing they did was really help leaders and organizations become better at planting the seeds of trust. And that's something that we really wants to emphasize the job of every senior leader, pandemic or no pandemic, is that they have to build trust. And the unfortunate reality is that organizations do not plan or implement actions deliberately aimed at measuring, nurturing, and maintaining that trust. And that fell into the the laps of fearless communicators. Oh, absolutely right. Plus, I I would say they also learned very quickly how to reach remote workers and keep them engaged and informed uh, through some some pretty scary times. I'm not sure that most organizations had any kind of a robust remote workers communication strategy Mm. until this year because, you know, most of them really didn't have a lot of remote workers. And I've actually just seen a a new study that just came out from, I think it was Reagan, and they asked communicators, what are the top three challenges they're, they're continuing to face? And we're recording this in early September of 2020. And the top sort of three things that they're saying is responding to changing events, 
but right up there is staying focused on communicating with remote employees. And I think the other thing we have to remember while we're talking about remote employees is that so much of the workforce actually stayed on the job. So communicators had to figure out how to build trust with folks who were coming in during very frightening times back in March and April and May when we didn't even know what this pandemic was about, and what was going to happen next and what to expect. So I think someone ought to buy us a really big drink, quite honestly, for figuring out how to get frontline workers to keep coming in. And we, we did that by figuring out, as you said, how to build trust and how to create that shared sense of purpose very, very quickly. Yeah, you know, that deserves a, a special spotlight. I mean, communicators really demonstrated the value of having good communications. I mean, the, the business value of good communications. And while, it, you know, it may seem like a bit of a, you know, a duh statement to us, but let's go back a, a bit where many of these folks were just begging for budget and resources, right? Uh, I hope now organizations can clearly see the importance of the communications function for, you know, keeping things moving, keeping workers engaged and informed. That would certainly be merited given that, I think you were saying, uh, you were quoting another study, but Gartner found recently that 61% of executives believe their company struggles to bridge the gap between strategy formulation and day-to-day implementation. And communication bridges that chasm, which in itself should be another topic for a podcast, but doing so in the time of COVID, we're talking miracle work here. But what's interesting is that despite the miracles that we were pulling off every single day, right in the middle of the pandemic, somebody else did a study and still found that 72% of us found it difficult to establish the importance of communications in our company. Wow. Which is, and I don't know whether we're all having like a massive insecurity complex or, or whether it's such a fleeting thing. I don't, I don't really know, but you're right. That's easily another two or three podcasts plus a lot of therapy. And so I would say though, that one of the other things that they've done is I think they've created, I hope anyway, that they've created some lasting artifacts. And I, I know a few of our clients really doubled down on better intranets. And many had to figure out how to use video platforms in a hurry. So I hope that when we come back to offices, that these are the things that stick around so that we can continue to pull those far-flung workers together as effortlessly as we are trying to do now. And I'm also hoping that some of the platform gaps that came up, the ones that weren't addressed this year, the, the, the things about reaching people who, who don't work at desks, or how do you work with people who maybe don't have the best internet connections or share it with 18 people in their household. Uh, I'm hoping that those sorts of gaps that we identified are going to be front and center for next year's planning. And other things like accessibility, translation, really using video and images more effectively and engaging those frontline leaders routinely. The things like that that we've, we've talked about as being so fundamental to the success of communicating during a crisis. I wonder if the results from that recent study reflects, again, that continued story, that theme we hear from communicators and seen in studies for years that communicators have a real tough time measuring the impact of the outcomes of their uh, employee communications initiatives. I always find that astonishing. And just as a quick aside, if, 
if you recall, where we were actually having a course on that very topic, but we'll come back to that. Elizabeth, the other thing, when you talk about artifacts, I can't help but think about the development of new stories. And we're always oh, talking yeah. about the importance of storytelling. And there's so many stories that are emerging now about how organizations really stepped up to help their employees and their customers and their communities, which I think is wonderful. And that means there's a great opportunity to cement the importance and the power of stories and the need for good storytelling skills for leaders throughout an organization. And I, I wonder if the window is already beginning to close on some of those mm -hmm capturing those early stories from, you know, the early days when everybody was so frightened and, and yet we still managed to pull off miracles. And I, I don't know what the shelf life of a recent story is before you have to kind of bottle it up like a preserve and flash freeze it. But I, I hope that communicators are out there gathering this stuff up and, and making sure that they're not letting it slip away. I would say another thing that we want to preserve in those jars, since we're in the process of canning things, would be some of the processes we managed to improve. Uh, we're certainly hearing from cross organizations that decisions about communications got made a whole lot faster during the pandemic than they ever did in saner times. And we, we can all think back to a year ago when you could have a single email message make the rounds of the executive team for weeks and weeks, you know, like something going around a toilet bowl. And I certainly found in many of our clients did that decision process got shortened very quickly. And so mm -hmm. I think that what we've won there is not so much better processes, though I hope those that's the case, but that we've our leaders finally learned to trust their communicators to do a good job without having every single comma approved by a committee of, of VPs. And they finally just are trusting us to go out and deliver the messages and build the trust and do the listening without needing a, a babysitter hanging over us all the time. <laughs> That's a lovely thought, you know, and when that happens, the other thing that is a corollary, and we've seen evidence of this, is that the employee communications folks have a seat at that all-important executive table. Communicators have been telling us that they finally had that direct interaction with C-suite decision makers. And we all know that that's critical. And it's not just during an emergency, but all the time that has to be maintained. And that means that communicators have to find ways to be constantly demonstrating their value. Absolutely. And if nothing else persists, that's one of the things that communicators need to hang on to with both hands. We've shown we can work at the highest levels. We've shown we can add value. We've shown how we can help senior leaders connect across the organization. So I would say, if you possibly can, get that stuff formalized in your job descriptions for all of your communicators. That would be awesome. <laughs> it? Yeah. Yeah. Just go do that. Just, 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 just do that. Exactly. Well, you know, well, let's recap what's in the win column here. What well, because communicators were able to build trust, create platforms on the fly, reach newly remote workers, keep frontline workers engaged, demonstrate the value of communications as a function in and of itself, create new artifacts, intranets, virtual assets, become better at storytelling, improve processes, and with luck, got to see that grown-up table. So that's great. And we should add that the successful communicators also found ways 
to effectively listen to employees. So they were able to accomplish, accomplish all of these outcomes. Prior to the pandemic, implementing a deliberate listening strategy into communications was often relegated to an annual survey or occasional pulse surveys. But I hate course, engagement surveys. Sorry, I'm just that, thinking about how much I hate engagement surveys. That's that topic for another podcast. Yes, let's, let's hate on that's, those. But during a pandemic, rolling out a broad-based survey, come on, that, that would have been crazy. So kudos to fearless communicators that took this often forgotten or if you will, no pun intended, unheard of responsibility of communications and brought it to life. This was and continues to be a real game changer for organizations. Simply put, those who listened communicated well. Those who didn't want to fall into the trap of what we call publish-itis and once again be relegated to the periphery of organization decision-makings did so through listening. And of course, here we are. And the big question is, so fearless communicators, what do you do next to keep the ground that you've got or improve upon it? Yeah, really, what do you do for an encore after this? Yeah. I, I would say, I, I think the first thing we need to do is to leverage this temporary po- popularity as fast as humanly possible. It's a bit like high school and getting something right in front of the cool kids. Uh, so first thing, let's measure the heck out of everything we've done since March. We know that executives are data-driven, so we need to quantify all those good feelings that we're, that we're having right now. And the second thing we need to do, I think, is put together a plan for next year that asks for the resources we need to keep working at this level. Third, we need to blunt this assumption that when the pandemic resolves, we all get to stop communicating because nothing to see here, folks. Don't worry about it. So we need to, to make sure that we're not letting anyone get away with this idea that this is some kind of exceptional thing. And when, you know, touch wood, this pandemic is behind us, we get to go back to the way things were at the beginning of 2020, because Mm. I don't think anybody wants that. Uh, And so in order to do that, we need to make sure that every single metric maps to a higher goal well beyond the pandemic response. And we need to shamelessly ask for the tools, the people and the budgets we need to keep building trust and building engagement. Uh, I think that leaders right now themselves are dining out a little bit on the fact that they were able to easily build trust. And when times Mm. go back to normal, I think it's not going to be so easy for them. And so the more we can tie what we do to that building trust and engagement, the more likely we are to come out of this um, with our little capes and tights intact. Mm. I, I would say it's also a very good time to assess whether the communications function is in the right place organizationally, which is also obviously yeah. a topic for another upcoming podcast mm. or 10 um, of the swear jar. But I, going back to our earlier discussion about being at the grown-up table and having that strategic seat if you're going to get sent from there back to some corner in marketing, um, we, we want to make sure that that's not going to happen. And we obviously advocate for communications to report in at the highest possible level. So I would say if your comms function is languishing as someone's side hustle somewhere, now is a good time to make the case for it to report into a senior leader, not just now, but in perpetuity. I didn't count how many actions you have there. There had to be five or six actions that you just mentioned that communicators should take note of and put in their own personal and professional development in order to make 
communicators more effective at their organizations and make them happier uh, as effective communicators. Yeah, let's call um, that out in the show notes so that yeah, you, people can just cut and paste it into your professional development plan for next year and you'll thank exactly. us later. There you go. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> You, you know what? Why don't we take this opportunity then to do a shameless shill for our own stuff? And, you know, we call it shameless shill, but the reality is that because we're so action focused to help uh, fearless communicators be more effective and the feedback we get from our clients, we know that this is good stuff. So let me just focus on a couple things. So we've got a few workshops that our listeners will find easy to consume and have lessons that are, can easily be applied. And the two newest workshops, one is impact measurement, which we know that measuring impact of employee communications is no longer an option. It's actually the key to demonstrating the importance of the employee communication functions to skeptical supervisors, and they abound throughout every organization. And that's a 90-minute workshop. It's online. That's coming up right around the corner. We're going to have that as a regular offering. Another one is Worst Employer Ever. I love that title. It's how to deal with online reviews, and that's whether they're nasty or neutral or, or nice when employees and former employees and candidates leave reviews on sites such as Glassdoor Indeed, and that's really powerful stuff. And of course, we've got one on corporate storytelling as well. And those are all 90-minute, fast-paced, fun, interactive workshops. And any of our listeners at the Swear Jar can have an instant 10% discount on those workshops. Yeah, you just enter uh, Swear Jar when you register, of course you will, and you can save that money. And I actually just read a stat that more than half of communicators find it difficult to showcase the value they add. So that uh, impact measurement one is exactly timed right. Mm -hmm. So you can show just how awesome you were during the COVID crisis and you will look like a star. So just before we go, let's talk about what we're reading, watching, and listening to. Andrew, what is on your bedside table? Uh, my bedside table is my iPad, and that means that I can get drawn into all sorts of different areas and down wormholes. And one that I find, it's, it's a resource that I think all our listeners could find some enjoyment and value in, and that is Gartner. Uh, that analyst has an area available online, and they do a lot of primary research on the topic of employee communications. And I would encourage people to go to Gartner, uh, subscribe, and while you're going to get inundated with some emails, uh, read one of the articles a week. That's it. You'll find something that you'll, that will get you go, huh, I hadn't thought about that. So Gartner. Yeah. And actually what I've learned over the years is if you put Gartner as a source on any slide you show to executives, it's, it's like <laughs> saying, you know, I got this from God himself. And, and in <laughs> fact, even if it has nothing to do with anything, if they see, you know, Gartner says. Uh, so it's enormously credible stuff. And also you write interesting. And of course, we'll have a, a link in our show notes to it. I'm reading uh, an ebook also on my iPad. And uh, when I'm not looking at cat videos at the very bottom of the internet on YouTube, I'm reading a book, it's an ebook called No One's Listening and It's All Your Fault. Oh, I love the title. I know. Well, that got me. It was just like, of course it is. And, um, and it's written by Pat Marmon, who uh, is a change management consultant. 
And she actually echoes a lot of the themes that we talk about when we teach our change communications courses and uh, about the role that leaders have to play in terms of communicating change and how the very first thing that most of them don't do and should is listening. It's a quick read. It's a fun book. It's full of good stories from her many, many years as a change consultant. And uh, you can get it on Amazon. And again, we'll put the, the link in there. And once again, it is called No One's Listening and It's Your Fault. That's and great. it's about change communications. That's amazing. I'm going to read that. You should. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's it for us. So Elizabeth. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. If you like this podcast, subscribe it and, of course, share it. Absolutely. You can find us on any of your favorite podcast platforms. We get on more of them uh, all the time. And do check out the show notes and the resources from this and other podcasts at the Academy of Business Communications.com. That's Academy of Business Communications.com. Special thank you to Peter Linesman, our audio editor, and to Simon Gladstone, who helps us with our website. And we will see everybody next time. Bye for now.